Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. How's everybody doing tonight? Amen, amen. I'm excited. It's been a, it's been a while since I last spoke, but I'm excited for what God's going to do. Um, but before I say anything else, I do, I do want to pray. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to allow me to come up here, Lord, and to speak to your people. I pray that our hearts are open, God, that we may uh, receive your word, Lord God, that we may be changed and transformed by it, God, ultimately becoming more like you. Have your way and let your spirit be with me in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Before I begin, I do want to say a big thank you and a big shout out to um, my pastor, Pastor Omar, Pastor Omar, Sister Lethe. I want to thank you guys. It's an honor for allowing me to come up here and speak. And I also want to give a shout out to my wife, Desiree. I love you, Des. Um, Actually, guys, in 11 days, it'll be our our two-year anniversary. So don't don't contact me in 11 days. I'll be in Mexico. (laughs) All right. Well... It'll, it'll be our two-year anniversary in June, so the month of June, it, it actually holds a special place in my heart. But I'm going to kind of segue into my message here, and there is something about the month of June that does kind of upset me a little bit, if I can say that. Um, it's the fact that the world has decided to label this month after something that is, well, label this month after a sin, I'll say that. They decide to name this month after a sin. They decide to turn something that symbolizes a promise from God into something that is evil. And you guys know the flag that I'm talking about, so um, I guess it's kind of a coincidence, but I'm going to be speaking on pride tonight. So um, let's, let's begin in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, my scripture is not going to be up there, by the way, so I hope you guys are taking notes. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and it says this, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends and be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So here in 2 Timothy, we see that Paul is describing to Timothy what prideful people look like. But what is pride? See, if we were to look at the worldly definition of pride, if we were to look online, most of the definitions of pride are actually positive um, when that's not the case at all. Um, It says this. Here's one of the definitions of pride. It says, a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements. Like I said, most of the definitions of of, uh, pride are are positive in the world, but this is probably the closest definition that we're going to find to what pride is described to as in the Bible. But what biblical pride is, what it means in the Bible is that people are self-worshippers or their self-preservation, their their self-preservation and self-worship. See, pride can come in the form of a religious spirit, and it can come in the form of many different types of sins. As a matter of fact, the very first sin was stemmed from pride. So what are some signs of pride? Pride says, I'm older than you. I know more than you. I've been here longer than you. I read more than you. I pray more than you. Therefore, 
You can't tell me what to do. You can't be my leader. That's what pride says. See, prideful people, they talk themselves up. They promote themselves. And they, the, probably the most annoying thing that they do is they try to justify every single thing that they do. Right? See, prideful people, they give themselves this strong outward appearance. But in reality, they're probably some of the weakest people. They're dealing with insecurity, right? See, these prideful people, they look hard and they act hard, right? But the only thing that's hard about them is, is their heart. Amen? So these people worship themselves and they glorify themselves in order to make themselves feel better. And what they'll also do is they begin to tear people down for the same effect. And as I mentioned that pride is a religious spirit, um, this actually reminds me of the Pharisees. So if you were to read, and you see that a lot of the times the Pharisees would try to trap Jesus in his words. They would try to get him to contradict himself or get him to contradict the law, right? And they also did this to um, some other people. They, they tried to catch this woman in adultery and set up Jesus at the same time. See, if you are one of those people that are saying, oh, you can't speak to me because I've been here longer than you. And you're saying stuff like that to your leader who might be younger than you, right? If you're telling them this, you are no different than these Pharisees. So there are a couple consequences to pride. Uh, I'm going to give an example, but before I want to read this scripture, Proverbs chapter 16, verses 18 through 19 says, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Better to live humbly with the poor than to share the plunder with the proud. So I want to give a quick um, um, demonstration of what pride, the consequences of pride are. And if we were to read Daniel chapter 4, um, we're, it's, it's about King Nebuchadnezzar. And actually, he writes the entirety of this chapter himself. Um, so God will give him these dreams. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar would have these dreams, but the thing is that he couldn't interpret them himself. So he would ask Daniel to come and interpret these dreams for him. So he has this dream, and there's this tree that he sees in this dream, and it's growing up to the heavens. And it grows all the way up, and all these animals, all these, uh, everything that lives, lives underneath this tree. And there's all these types of fruit. But then he sees uh, the heavens open, and he hears a voice from heaven, and it says, to tell, it tells these angels to cut the tree down and to bound it to the ground. And so he's confused, and he asks Daniel to interpret this dream for him. And so Daniel comes and says, King Nebuchadnezzar, that tree is you, and it represents you and your kingdom, and your, everything is going to be taken away from you until you realize that heaven is above all things. So this, this dream actually comes to pass, and we read it here in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. It says, as he looked out across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this city, this beautiful city, as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. See, as King Nebuchadnezzar was saying this, as the very words were leaving his mouth, uh, he hears a voice from heaven, and it, it says that everything is going to be stripped away from him. And so we find King Nebuchadnezzar, it says, for a time, which I don't really know what that means, but King Nebuchadnezzar, for a time, is insane. He loses, insa his, insa he loses his sanity. He loses his kingdom, and he loses all of his riches. And he's in this place where he's really just running around eating grass, this naked, crazy, hairy guy, right? But eventually, his sanity returns to him. His sanity does return to him, as do his riches and his glory. And he's actually held in even higher esteem than he was before. But he says this in Daniel chapter 4, verse 37. 
He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. Amen. Matthew 23, 12 says, But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, I don't know about you, but I'd rather humble myself and allow God to pick me up and allow God to exalt me than to think I'm all that in a bag of chips and for God to have to humble me like he did to King Nebuchadnezzar, right? <clears throat> so um, I do want to share this quick little illustration before I move on. And it's from Jeremiah chapter 18. I'm not going to read any of this scripture, but it's Jeremiah in the potter's house. So God calls Jeremiah to go to the potter's house, and he wants to give him a prophetic word, and he also wants to teach him a lesson. So Jeremiah goes to the, pot, the, the potter's house, and he sees this potter working with some clay. And as the potter's working with some clay, he notices that he stops, and he has this piece of clay that is spoiled and is, is bad. So he can either decide to throw it out or he can decide to use it for another piece. See, this is a prophetic message and he's telling Israel that we, we, I need you to get your act right. But I believe that there's some symbolism that we can see behind this. See, God is the potter and we're the clay. Amen? So we see that the, 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 the potter has this clay and he, he's, he can... He can form and shape this clay however he wants. He can tear it apart and he can make it into something new. He can change all these different shapes of this clay. But I believe that the clay that is spoiled is actually hardened clay. And this hardened clay, what this represents is our pride. See, when we are prideful, it, it, it stops us from allowing God to change and transform our life. You see this hard piece of clay. I don't know if you guys can hear this. I can't change this. I can try to shape this and change this into any shape I want, but it's not going to budge. As a matter of fact, if I press it hard enough, it's going to break. But the good news is that this hard clay can still be saved. It can still be rescued. You can actually put some hydration into that thing, and then eventually it'll be able to be shaped and transformed again. And that represents our humility. It represents his, his Holy Spirit. See, it says that his Holy Spirit is everlasting water, is everlasting life. And that is what we need. I, I believe that God's Holy Spirit change, changes our nature from the inside out. It takes us from being these proudful people who, who can't be changed and can't be shaped into people who can be molded and shaped by God. See, pride will keep us from doing that, but humility will allow us to be changed and transformed by God. So before I close... I want to share the cure for pride. And the cure for pride is humility. Tell your neighbor, be humble. All right, now tell yourself, be humble. Amen. So Jesus is this, this perfect example of humility in our lives. And Paul highlights this in Philippians chapter 2. It's verses 6 through 9, and it says this. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all other names. See, it says in John chapter 1 that the word was with God and the word was God. That word is Jesus. So Jesus comes 
as a human, humbling himself. But he didn't just stop there. He, he assumed the lowest position that you can take. And he assumed the position of a servant. His whole life was dedicated to serving other people. And ultimately, it led him to the cross where he did the ultimate service for us. He died humbly. He was beaten, mocked, bruised, and, and laughed at, even though he didn't deserve it, even though there was no fault in him. He died on the cross humbly. But it was through that humility that Jesus was allowed to co complete and to fulfill what God had promised and planned for his life. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Yep. Hello, everyone. Oh, wow. Uh, hello, everyone. <laughs> uh, before I get started, I just want to give thanks to Pastor Omar and Sizzleti for the opportunity to allow me to speak. Uh, it's a huge honor, and, and I don't take it lightly. Also, the rest of the pastoral staff, I honor you guys, our evangelist, our worship pastor. Um, okay, it's a little bit different being up here and not in there, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm going to be speaking tonight about staying on guard. And I'm going to start with a story found in 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 15, just three verses. It says, Once again, the Philistines were at war with Israel. And when David and his men were in the thick of battle, David became weak and exhausted. Ishbi Benob was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds, and he was armed with a new sword. He had cornered David and was about to kill him. But Abishai, son of Zerari, came to David's rescue and killed the Philistine. You see, when I think of David, I think of, well, he was King David, right? He was a shepherd. He was a young boy who slayed Goliath. I would consider him a giant slayer, right? You see, his story began with him killing a giant, and his story almost ended by him being killed by a giant. But why do I read this? It's because none of us are invulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. You see, David already defeated Goliath, and he already had many past victories, but there will always be new giants. Your victories from yesterday don't conquer today's giants. The enemy just needs a little bit, just a little bit, to come into your life and to destroy it. I have a, a funny story that I shared with the youth in the past. Um, when I was younger, my brother and I, we would, you know, we would wrestle. And there was a, a time where he ran into his room and he locked the door. And I couldn't do anything now, right? I couldn't, couldn't get him. So what I decided to do is I just, I just stood there, right in the door. And I just stayed quietly, patiently. 10, 15 minutes went by. I was like, I don't care how long this takes. I'm going to wait here. <laughs> and eventually, you know, my brother thought, oh, he forgot. He's in the other room, and you know, he unlocks the door, and ever so slightly, he, he opened the door, and boom, I'm in the door. I slammed right through, and I get him. But you see, the devil doesn't just need, he doesn't need the door to be wide open. He just needs a little bit. We all know the saying where if you give the devil an inch, he takes a mile. And that's why we must always be on guard, always, from the moment that we wake up to the moment we lay our head down. Knowing that God is with you in your workplace, in your home, always acknowledging that and knowing that the enemy can attack at any given moment. You see, something my, my sister shared um, a few weeks ago was, uh, if it breaks God's heart, what makes you think it will fulfill yours? Don't open any door that doesn't need to be open. Always be on guard. Don't let your emotions you know, get in the way of that. 
you know, as we know, our church is in revival, right? And it's amazing to see. It's great. It's powerful. But what does that mean? Does that mean we made it? Can we just kick our feet up and relax? You know, I think we all know the answer is no. I think now more than ever, we should be on guard and closer to God, protecting, protecting what he entrusted us with, because not every church is experiencing what Reach Church is experiencing. You see, and the revival and the growth of this church, it isn't just for our pastors or our leaders, but it's for the entire congregation. It's for everyone, no matter the title that you have, whether you're new, an usher, a greeter, you work in the kitchen, or you do the sound, we all play a big role in growing this church and growing God's kingdom. You see, Romans chapter 12, verse 5, it says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and we all belong to each other. God wants a church to be strong and fully committed to Him, not just a small portion of this church. And I believe that Reed's church is strong and fully committed to Him. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, this is Jesus speaking. It says, And upon this rock I will build this church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And I just want to encourage anyone here who came maybe feeling defeated, weak, tired, or, or discouraged to rise and to remember that the gates of hell will not prevail in this church or in your life. You see, when you continue to read 2 Samuel chapter 21, you read that the Israelites go into three more battles and they fight three more giants. But verse 22 says, These four Philistines were descendants of the giants of Gath, but David and his warriors killed them all. You see, how many know that no weapon formed against us shall prosper? Because we serve a God who is undefeated. His name is Yahweh, who is all-powerful, who already conquered our sins, defeated death, and our enemy. We are not in a losing battle. We are in a winning battle. But how do we maintain this victory? How do we maintain this revival and the growth of our church and city? Well, there's a price that needs to be paid. One is always being on guard. But the second one is living our lives every day glorifying God by what we do, by what we say, by how we act, and by how we think. It's a lifestyle, not just here in this church. We have to be a mere reflection of who God is, living in holiness and righteousness, not compromising with friends or coworkers or family members, and not conforming to this world, but to be different, walking in the truth of who our God is. Do we just agree with the truth and say an amen, but not live in it? You see, if you want to know if you're living a life pleasing to God, if you want to know if you are being effective, yeah, I would ask you guys, what if tonight was your last service? God forbid, but what if it was? And I'm not going to say, where would you go, heaven or hell? I'm not going to say that. Everyone here is going to heaven. I would say it like that. But let's say you die. And now picture you holding your life in your hand, your entire life. You hold it right here. Every decision that you've made, every word, everything you did, everything you didn't do. And you're face to face with God. And he asks you, what did you do with my son? Could you pleasingly and with great joy offer that to God? Or would it be full of regret, saying, God, put me back down? God, I could have done more. I should have let go of this and just went full on for you. I want everyone here to, be, to say, God, I did my absolute best. This is what I did with the cross. This is what I did with your son. 
and pleasingly, with great joy, giving it to God. And that's kind of what I wanted to share with you guys tonight was one, always be on guard because the enemy attacks when we're least expecting it. So every day, don't let small compromises sneak in because then you will fall. The second one is to protect the revival that God has given us. We ought to remain strong and pushing forward, being accountable to our leaders because when one begins to fall, it begins to cripple away. And three, is we are living a life, are we living a life that is greatly pleasing to God that we can be happy about to give to him when we pass away? And then to encourage those that we are in a winning battle and not a losing battle, amen? amen. And that's all I have for you guys. Lord, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for every, everyone that's here tonight, every house represented here, Lord. We ask, God, that you would just continue to move throughout this service, Lord. And uh, we understand that it's because of you, Lord, that we're here. It's, it's simply your mercy and grace over each one of our lives that we're here tonight. And so, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Pastor Omar, Sister Letty, thank you guys for everything. We love you guys. Um, I mean, I appreciate our pastors. Thank you for your faithfulness and, and being that example. Our pastoral team, love you guys. You guys know that. And of course, my better half, Jen, love you. Amen. So let's get into it. All right. How many know, so let's say this. You and I, if you've accepted Jesus Christ in this place, you've been commissioned by Christ. Say commissioned by Christ. And so usually um, when, when, I, when I preach on a Wednesday, I usually, I try to stay with a theme for the month. And, uh, but I just felt like the, the Lord had gave me this, this, this word to, to remind you guys that you've been commissioned by Christ. And so uh, the word commission, if, if, when you look it up and you, the definition, it says, it's, there's kind of like a, a buzzy sound. I'm sorry. Now I know what you guys go through. <laughs> sorry. Um, so commission, it says to order or authorize a person or a group to do or produce something. And so for one of our church values at Reach Church is to reach out. And I love the statement that Pastor Omar had made. He, said the great, uh, he says our mission is the Great Commission. Bible.org, uh, they did a survey, and, and uh, I was really amazed, I was kind of blown away, surprised, on these two uh, st- statistics that I, that I found. And the first one says, 99% of leadership ministers believe every Christian should witness. Now, I'm surprised because I'm thinking like 99, shouldn't it be 100% of minister, leader ministers should know that Christians are all called to be a witness, to witness to people? This, sec- this second one is the one that's kind of troubling. And, uh, and it says 95% of believers, people who profess that they're Christians, have never led a single soul to the Lord. And so you got to ask yourself this question. Why, why are 9 out of 10 Christians not wit- witnessing to the lost? 
And there's a couple, there's several reasons, right? One is, I believe, fear, right? Fear of rejection. Um, you know, nobody likes to be rejected, but what are they going to say if I start to preach this Jesus to them, right? If I start to preach repentance, what are they going to say? So we, we, get a, we get fearful. Second thing is we begin to doubt, you know? I don't know enough of the Bible. I haven't been coming to church. I haven't been walking with the Lord that long. Another, another one is condemnation, right? How can I preach to someone when I've done all this in the past? I, I have all this on, like, I, I can't preach to nobody. I'm no better than them. And so condemnation will try to, try to disqualify you. And then uh, another one is sin, right? If you have unhidden sin or you're dabbling in sin, how many know you're not going to want to preach the gospel because you're living a double life? And so my assignment tonight is to remind you that if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, friend, you have been commissioned by Christ. Say commissioned by Christ. And so one of the things that before Jesus ascended, after the resurrection, before he ascended, he, gave, he, he, he made this statement and, he, and he, um, he gave a mandate actually. And a mandate is an order. A mandate is, is, is an order that Jesus gave the church. One is that he said to preach the gospel. Say preach the gospel. Two, he said, make disciples. Say, make disciples. Make disciples. He also talked about baptizing, but I'm just going to do these two. And so when you think about the Great Commission, it wasn't the great suggestion. Jesus uh, wasn't just suggesting that you and I as believers need to preach the gospel. He was, he was saying that, hey, I'm mandating it. If you're a believer in Christ, you need to preach the gospel. And then look at uh, Mark 16, 15 says this. He says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Verse 20 says, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. Amen. So this mandate, has, this applies to every believer Right? It doesn't matter if you're a new convert. It doesn't matter if you've been saved 20 years, 30 years. The Great Commission, you, you have been called uh, to, in the Great Commission. And, and I think about the Great Commission. And, and you know what, what, what humbles me and blows me away is that the creator of earth, that the, that the Lord would partner with you and I to bring people to Christ. Right? And you think about that. When you witness to somebody, you can actually, God will, you're partnering with God to actually change somebody's destiny, somebody's eternal state. And when you have that kind of perspective, friend, you will start to, there will be a fire that's in your bones that you say, you know what? I need to share. I need to witness. I need to be a light. Amen? Matthew 28, this is one of my favorite scriptures. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and this is Jesus. And he says, and Jesus spoke. And he, uh, he came and he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all, all the things that I have commanded you. And know I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Jesus is pretty much saying everything that I've imparted into you, you need to impart into others. Amen. So one is your call to preach the gospel, but you're also everything that you have, you're called to impart it into others. This is the great commission, guys. Excuse me. And there's a um, there's a story um, in John chapter four, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, um, because I can relate to this story uh, because I know what it's like to be broken, right? How many know what it's like to be broken? You know, I know what it's like to be lost. I know what it's like, you know, to feel to be rejected. And it's uh, John chapter four is the story of the woman on the well, and uh, we all know this story, right? We've heard it many times, and. You know, Jesus has this encounter with this lady on the, on the, at the well. And we all know that, you know, Jesus begins to, you know, call out her, you know, tell her what's going on in her life. And, of course, she tries to hide her sin, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? She tries to hide her sin. But, I mean, you can't hide from Jesus. He, he knows everything, right? And so, you know, what I always say, you can, you can fool me, you can fool yourselves, but you can never fool Jesus. Amen? And so Jesus begins to have this encounter with her, grace and truth perfect, uh, this is a perfect example of grace and truth. And so Jesus begins to tell her um, all the things that, she's, that she has going on. And, you th- and if you look at this woman in the eyes of society, right, she's, she has several strikes against her. One is, she, and for that culture, one is she was a Samaritan. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. He shouldn't have been talking to her in the first place. Two is she was a woman, right? The fact that Jesus was talking to this woman, he shouldn't have been doing that. Uh, she was a woman who had been divorced five times. And she was a woman who was living with a man that wasn't her husband. And so this encounter, you look, uh, the reason why I love this encounter is because it really demonstrates the heart of God. That he, he looks past our sins, he looks past our faults, and all he really wants is our heart and a relationship. He wants us to want to have a relationship with him. Amen? And the, and the part that, that really, that really grips me is um, the Bible says that, you know, if you read, read a little bit later on down, the Bible says that once she realizes, uh, once Jesus revealed who he really was to her, that she immediately dropped her bucket, stopped what she was doing, and began to share her experience with others. And, and you can find that in John chapter 4, verse 39 through 42. Um, and it says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you have said, but... For we ourselves have heard and, and we have heard him, and now we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And all this woman, all this woman did is that she began to share her encounter with her community. She began to share what God, her encounter with Jesus to others. And what the Bible says that there was, there was a stirring in that region, that God began to move in that region, that people, people were stirred about that and they had an encounter because your encounter your encounter with Christ should lead to others having an encounter with Christ because we're called we're called to to preach and we're called to disciple 
It's time for us to get off the sideline, guys. It's, you know, it's time for us to stop being domesticated Christians. What does I mean by that? You think about a domesticated animal when they're in the zoo. They are just being fed. They're just laying there. They're not doing anything. They lost that instinct. Friend, I want to tell you, you got to get that fire like when you first got saved, when you first had that encounter with Christ, when you couldn't help but to tell other people about what God has done in your life. You you had this joy, this excitement. But what happens is we become domesticated. We We get so used to having Pastor Omar lead people to the Lord. Friend, we need to, you and I need to lead people to the Lord. You've been mad. You've been called. <laughs> Amen. Perfect timing, Pastor O. Um, and so ask yourself this story, right? In John chapter 4, why can't the Lord do that with your story? Why can't He do it in your family? Why He can't do it in your community? You know, as we're talking about preaching and discipleship, I, you got to ask yourself, how did you come to Christ? How did you come to Christ? Someone had to preach to you. Someone had to preach and disciple the person who preached to you. And someone had to preach and disciple the person who reached them. And so forth and so forth. That's the Great Commission. Disciple, discipleship. Preach, discipleship. Preach, discipleship. Guys, we're not called here to, I, I love the chairs, they're comfortable, but, but you, you, you have to put, there has to be an, an urgency, guys, an urgency. And I love it, the last sentence of Matthew 28, I love the scripture because you, this is one of those scriptures that you grab it, you put it on your refrigerator, you pierce it in your heart. Jesus reminds the disciples after he tells them to make disciples, to go and preach and to make disciples. He says, and I am with you always forever to the end. That's a promise. That's a promise that you can bank all day on that. Amen. And so that's what we're called to do, guys. We are called to preach and disciple, preach and disciple. And so this is a challenge that I, I, I challenge myself, but I want, to ch- I want to challenge this to you guys, and, you know, hopefully you guys take it. I want to challenge you guys. Say, you know what? I'm going to lead one person to the Lord a week. I'm going to lead one person to the Lord a week. How many say I would take that challenge? Amen. All right. Because you're mandated to do it. Not suggested. You're mandated Amen. You do that, you think about it, right? And it's not about the... There's 52 weeks in a year. God, if you take that challenge, by the end of the year, you would have ministered and led 52 different people to the Lord. And you never know what you can do with that life, right? Sometimes you just got to walk in faith and just go for it. Those uncomfortable moments at work... In the middle of the break room? Yeah, let's go for it. Let's pray. Oh, right here, right now. Absolutely. Let's do it. Why not? Um, and so I just, I, I, I felt like I was on an assignment tonight to remind you, you guys, you guys are called to preach, right? I love church. I love coming here. We get equipped here to go out there. We go to connect group for fellowship. I love fellowship. I love my connect group. But we get equipped and sharpened to go out there to a lost world. Amen. And so 
You're called. You're commissioned. Jesus has authorized you. Jesus Christ has authorized each one of you. Will you take the challenge? Amen? Some of us need to get distractions out of our life. Some of us need to get distractions out of our life. What's hindering your life? You need to go back first got saved. When you had that, that passion, that urgency. Amen? I know because I've been there. You just got to go back. Go back to the basics. Most of the time, it's just reading your, going back to reading your word and praying. You do those two things? Yeah? Praying in tongues. Come on now. If you don't know how to lead somebody to the Lord, talk to me afterwards and, and we'll, you know. Come on an outreach. We're going to do an outreach next Tuesday for Father's Day. Come on an outreach. Well, with that being said, you guys are commissioned. All authority has been given to you, to me, to preach the gospel and to make disciples. And so it's time that we, we, that we do that. Amen. So I, I would ask you guys, if you guys would just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.